Okay, so we're in Psalm 38. If you are here for the first time, read and rant. That's what we're here to do. We're going to read for 20 minutes, maybe less today. And then we're going to read or reflect for another 20 or 30 minutes, maybe less. We'll see. Uh, But that's generally what we do. That's what we commit to. We commit to our time in the reading of the word every morning as we come together. We're reading through the book of Psalms now. We've read from Genesis, and now we're reading through the book of Psalms. We've already read through the entire New Testament, but now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. And we have arrived at the book of Psalms. Now, we will continue to read through. So uh, even after we finish the Old Testament, I'm going to go back around again. We're going to read through the New Testament again. And as you begin to read through over and over again, you're going to start seeing, hold on a second, this thing is is something else. It's not what I thought it was. You're going to begin to see how all of this really pieces together. You're going to see how it all threads together. You're going to see now what this is all about, what this book is all about, what the scriptures is all about. And so the more that you discipline yourself in doing so, you're going to really truly be shaped into uh, uh at least you're going to obviously be be conformed and shaped into the image of God, but at the same time, you're going to get a bit better picture, a better image of what God is actually saying in his word, not what somebody tells you about the word is saying. But when you actually read through the whole thing, you're going to realize, man, a lot of what was taught to me ain't it. That, that's not what that, the Bible is actually teaching. That's not what it's actually saying. You got to read the whole thing. You got to read the whole thing. And if you don't, you're missing out. And that's why we're here. We're all together journeying through the reading of scripture. And if you uh, if you are new and you're like, wait, so you guys are already in the book of Psalms? Guess what? We have a podcast where we've taken all these lives that we've been doing and we've been putting them on the podcast since the Read and Rant podcast. So go ahead, check out that podcast. It's almost at 50,000 downloads, y'all. It's about to hit 50,000 downloads. This, this is incredible. It's Man, it's amazing. It's amazing to see um, what the Lord has done in such a short period of time. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to read through the word. And so we're in the book of Psalms and we're going to be reading through Psalm 38. Now, I said to you before, this isn't a Bible study. This is a Bible reading and a meditation of scripture. So it's more important that you're reading along with me because I want for the spirit to speak to you as you read. And so we're going to posture ourselves to hear what God has to say to us. Today And so what we're going to do is, is we're going to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question. The second question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? Okay. These are the three questions we're going to ask. Father, Lord, answer these questions to us today. Lord, speak to us, Lord, as we engage in your word. Father, I just pray that you would... Um, um, reveal to us something new about your heart, about your will, about your desire, about your people. Reveal something in us, Lord, that needs to be revealed, whether it be for encouragement or for correction. Father, I just pray that it would do a work in us today. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's read, y'all. Let us read. Psalm 38, verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any 
health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desires before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction. A plan, <clears throat> deception, all in planned deception all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. For he said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me. Lest my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me, for I am ready to fall. And my sorrow is continually before me. For I declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Hmm. Chapter 39. I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I'll restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire, fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, I have made my days as handbreadths. My age is none before you. Hmm. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When the rebukes, uh, sorry, when with rebukes you corrected man with an, an iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and I am no more. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. 
He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wondrous works, which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. Oops. Sorry. I'll read verse 5 again. Many, O Lord my God, are your wondrous works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth. For the great assembly, do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to disorder who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Let's read one more. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die? His name perish. And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend who, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this that you know, sorry, by this I know, sorry, that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, 
you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Blessed be the Lord. (laughs) Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. There are people who know about God and there are people who know God. The people who know about God are the people who know their Bible. They read it, they study it, they dissect it. They've got good theological foundation. They've got great soteriological insight. They know the scripture. They know it in and out. But what I find is that the people who know God are the ones who've gone through things that they could not get through on their own, that it was their faith in God that helped them persevere and press forward. Find that often we don't get to know God until we confront truly felt needs. Like you don't get to know God until you confront the fact that you're broken and you're in need of a savior. You don't really get to know God until you realize how desperately dependent you are on the grace of God. I find that the people who know about God are the ones who feel like they don't need anything. The people who know about God are the ones who, you know, they they read, they study, but they're good, they're sufficient. As long as they have their intellect, as long as they have their resources, as long as they have their money, as long as as long as they got it together, they know they know about God, and know a lot about God, and they can study him and they can articulate and they can say a lot about God to you. But the people who know God are the ones who <laughs> it's when they were <laughs> down and out that they realize that God is a provider. It's when they were sick that they realized that God was a healer. It's when they really just, they were dealing with pain and anxiety that they realized that God is shalom, that he is their peace. It's when they were at the bottom realizing how guilty and broken they were that they realized that God is their only hope for righteousness. Mm, That's when you know God. That's when you know God. And what I love, and I've said this before about the book of Psalms and why the book of Psalms is so powerful is that the book of Psalms bestows upon us a experiential theology. The book of Psalms imparts on us an understanding of God that is a function of our experiences with God. What the book of Psalms does is the book of Psalms really tells us what a relationship with God really looks like. Um, um, a, a relationship with God is not Bible study. I want to make sure you understand this. A relationship with God is not going to church on Sunday. A relationship with God is not Bible study. A relationship with God is not even your own personal study of Scripture. It's not small groups. A relationship with God is something so much more profound. Relationship with God is deeply experiential. It's deeply sentimental. It's intimacy with God. And a lot of us, a lot of us, we simply know God from a metaphorical perspective, but not from an experiential perspective. 
And that's the issue. That's the issue is we don't really spend enough time in intimacy with God. And when you are intimate, and I'm sure those who are married, those who have deep, intimate relationships, intimacy is always a safe place. Like it's always, when you, when you are intimate with God, notice this, that intimacy with God is not always pleasing Intimacy with God isn't always comfortable. Intimacy with God isn't always, you know, it it isn't always, you know, (laughs) uh, sunshine and roses and butterflies. Intimacy with God sometimes has pain in it. But what intimacy with God is, is it's safe. If I had one word for intimacy, it would be safety. If I had a word for intimacy, it would be a safe place. Not, oh, it feels good and it is, you know, it, it, it's, it's butterflies and it's rainbows and candy and, and all that good sweet stuff. No, no, intimacy is painful. And there's something even beauty. There's some beauty in that, right? There's beauty in intimacy and there's beauty in the pain often of finding times and moments in intimacy. The times when relationships get strong are when there's pain and there's anger and and there's a safe place for you to open up and to express it and to communicate it. Vulnerability, I love that. That's a word right there. It's where you can come before God vulnerable. It's where you can come before God, not even fully having all knowledge and all understanding. And what I find is, is that there are a lot of people who feel like you can't be intimate with God until you fully know everything about God. There's a lot of people who feel that way, who feel like, oh, um, I need more study. And then once I know more about God, then I can be intimate with God. But intimacy is not how much you know. It's how much you're willing to give up. When you're finally in a place of intimacy, it's a safe place. And when it's a safe place, it's a place for you to open up. It's a place where you can be vulnerable. It's a place where you can truly express what you feel. It's a place where you can just 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 let it all out, regardless of what. And know that as you let it all out and as you express it, there's no consequence to it. There are those of us who don't yet know what an intimacy with God looks like because we're still guarded even when we come before the presence of God. We're still guarded because somehow we think that I can't let God know what I'm thinking as if God doesn't already know what you're thinking. Or I can't let God know, you know, how I really feel as if God doesn't already know how you really feel. Isn't that funny? How we come before God guarded as if God doesn't know everything already. I think it's funny. That we come before God and we're still giving God a facade as if God can't see through it. Your intimacy with God is about your willingness to open up to yourself, to God. To, to, To be safe there and to say, God, this is how I really feel. And often it's an intimacy that you reach points of of self-discovery. It's an intimacy that you reach points of, man, this is how I'm really feeling. 
Sometimes you need somebody to be around to actually know what you're actually going through because there's some things that you don't fully know yet until you articulate. That is the curious case of being human is that we have naturally been created to be interdependent and intradependent. It isn't right that man should be alone. I will make a helper who's comparable to him. It isn't right that man should be alone. We have been designed to be in relationship. We're not good alone because we don't articulate very well to ourselves. But when we aren't alone and when we acknowledge that we're in the presence of God, we can open up in a way that not only allows us to truly be vulnerable in this moment of intimacy with God, but then to actually come into a place of discovery with God. This is the man after God's own heart. And what the book of Psalms does is, is the book of Psalms allows us to really peek into what a relationship with God really looks like. And it allows us to peek into a man who has an experiential theology. Like, I know God so much that me and God, we're boys. And me and God, we're good. And me and God, we're so good that even when I'm angry and even when I'm pissed, and even when I'm frustrated, and even when I'm like, man, I can't stand this life thing, and I feel like, God, you got this thing wrong, that I can still go to God with that because it's not about my theological understanding of God. It's about how I feel. And a lot of us, we don't come to God with how we feel. We come to God with what we know. <laughs> we don't come to God with how we feel. We come to God with what we know. Dear Heavenly Father, O oh, gracious and magnificent one, you who are sovereign and above all things and through you in which all things exist, Father, you and your omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence, you, O oh Lord, who has no boundary, you whose periphery exists in the infinity, you, O oh Lord. We give all this beautiful language and all these words and God's like, bruh, get out of here. No, God wants a relationship with his children and he knows you're his child, but what he wants is your heart, not your mind. And so when you give him your heart, you say, listen, God, listen, yo, look, 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 look. Um, God, you and I right now, we're not good right now because, you know, I thought this was supposed to go this way, but it didn't go this way. God, you need to help me out right now. You know, a true relationship with God is when you can talk to him. You know that God's your friend when you can talk to him the way you talk to your friends. You know that God is a friend when you can speak to him in the way that you speak to your friend. And I, I, I hope nobody's screenshotting this because this stuff will get me in trouble. But true intimacy with God leaves room for you to even come heretically. It's like, God, I'm going to say something. It's going to sound like straight up heresy right now. But God, this is how I feel. 
<laughs> like, like you could come to God and be like, yo, God, look, look, listen, God, listen, God. What I'm about to say to you right now is going to sound heretical. Okay, it's going to be straight up heresy, but this is how I feel because you want to know something? Intimacy gives a place and a space for you to just be open and honest with God and then to allow God to do the work of pouring his heart into your heart and let him shape you and mold you. No, no, no. We're afraid to come to God because we're afraid to somehow commit heresy when we come to God. What heresy is about how you teach to your brothers and sisters about what the scriptures say. When it comes to your relationship with God, you can't actually come to God with heresy. God knows who he is. You can't throw God off. <laughs> God knows who he is. You can't, you can't, you can't lie to God about who God is. God wants you to bring your whatever heretical mindset is in your heart. And he wants you to bring that heretical mindset and then he'll shape you and mold you into who he's called you to be. You know, I just don't think that we give heresy an opportunity when we come before God. Heresy has no place where we preach the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. But my God, there are those who can preach good theology and yet still have heretical hearts. I'm ranting, y'all. I'm ranting, y'all. There are those who preach good theology. They've got great theological minds, but they have heretical hearts. Oh, they can tell you and break down everything that the Bible says about who God is, and yet their heart communicates something else because they never actually came to God to speak to him and to come to him with what they're struggling with in the moment that they're struggling with it. God, I know you said this about your, yourself, but this is how I really feel. And I know the Bible says that you've done this and this and this and that X, Y, and Z, but uh, to be honest with you, God, this is what I really think. And I really feel that this is where 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 I am where I'm at. No, no, no. We never give heresy a safe place in our moment of intimacy. And yet, oh man, this is I know I know this is this is this is making some people uncomfortable right now. I know it's making some people uncomfortable because like, wait, what is he saying? What is he saying? Heresy is only it, it's listen. Heresy is only for the pulpit. Okay, it's only for, for the platform, okay? But when I come to God, I'm telling you something right now. I've come to God with heresy. As a matter of fact, that's why it's called intimacy. There's some things you can show to God in private that you would never show to God in public. There's some things you would come to God with in private and you pray that somebody doesn't eavesdrop on your conversation with God. Because, and that's how you know it's true intimacy. Because there's some things you'll do with your spouse in private that you wouldn't do in public. <laughs> oh, we breaking down intimacy today. We're breaking down intimacy today. There's some things you would do with your spouse in private. You know you wouldn't do it in public. It would be inappropriate. There's some things you would do with your wife in private. Mm-hmm. If you did them in public, people would say, dang, he nasty. There's some things you would do in private with your husband that you wouldn't do in public. 
because you're in a place of vulnerability in a place of intimacy and you can express that because this is a safe place for me to do that with you and yet when it comes to our moment of intimacy with god there's some things you're gonna say to god in private that you would never say in public because it would sound like heresy but you come to God with it in private and let him then shape your heart and address your heart and mold your heart. True intimacy, let me tell you something. You won't want anybody to eavesdrop in your moment of intimacy with God. You wouldn't want it if you're doing intimacy right. <laughs> like if you're doing intimacy right, <laughs> I'm ranting. I say that because it's time for us to get past this doctrinal understanding of God. It's Christ. It's Jesus. It's Christ alone. It's Christ. It's not, are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? Are you Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? I mean, I got to record this one. Are you Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? Which one are you? I need to know which one you are. I, uh, what do you identify with? Which church do you go to? Are you, are you, oh man, I hope you're not Pentecostal. Or the Pentecostals would be like, well, I hope you're not one of them stuffy Presbyterians. We preach Christ, Christ alone. And often we are more Baptist than we are Christian. We're more Presbyterian than we are Christian. We're more Assemblies of God than we are Christian. We're more about where we identify in some doctrinal set of rules than we are about an actual intimate relationship with God. That's a problem. That's a problem. It's a big, big problem. What Psalms does is Psalms breaks all that down and gives you a different kind of theology. Psalms gives you a theology of intimacy. Psalms gives you a theology of, hmm, let's read through what we just read through. Let's just, let me just point some things out here. David is, re is, is writing Psalms 38. I'm just going to quickly, quickly run through that. Excuse me. David writes through Psalms 38. And notice, he says, my wounds are foul and festering. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. He go up. He says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger. He's literally saying, he's literally, listen to what David is saying here. He's saying that my body is falling apart because of your anger. He's literally saying, God, you're punishing me because of my sin. God, you are punishing me because of my sin. He says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden that's too heavy for me. My wounds are festering. I'm troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. My loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. David's like, bro, my life has fallen apart. And then he says, it's because of my sin. And David is coming to God and he's saying, God, sorry, I apologize. He's repenting before God because David is feeling what he's feeling. He's experiencing what he's experiencing. 
And right now in his heart, this is how he feels, that God is punishing him. He didn't need to break down his theology. Well, the Lord is a gracious God. He is my righteousness. This is the same David who declares that he's righteous in him. The same David, as sinful as he is, declaring that he's righteous. But in this moment, he's saying, God, you're punishing me. It actually theologically sounds shallow. <laughs> it, if you think about it, his theology is very shallow here. I know, I know. The theologians are going to get real upset right now. They're going to get real hot. They're going to say, well, you know, and they're going to go through all these, you know, mental gymnastics to make sense of this. And this is why we get so so confused as believers because we go through all these gymnastics to make sense of a construct of thinking. David was ranting to God. Yes. And that's okay because his theology is experiential. This is what I'm going through. So 17, for I'm ready to fall. My sorrows continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. David is literally saying, your sin is putting me, he said, my sin and what I've committed against you is putting me through pain. Yes, we can go through the theology of this, that, that sin came into the world and through sin came pain and came suffering. And we can go through the theology of this and we can break all that down. Yeah, that's great and all. Those are great ideas. But right now, this is what I'm going through. And at the core, those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries, even bad people who don't do good things. They're the ones who are my adversaries and they seem like they're overtaking me. And then he says, do not forsake me, O Lord. Oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is a man who's in distress. And what I love is it ends with that. You would say, well, there's no resolution. We can definitely find resolution in this text. And yet David has no resolve here. His resolve is simply this, is I need help from the Lord. I need you to help me, God. God, I'm sorry, whatever I did, however I messed up, whatever it is, God, sorry. That's literally what David's saying. He's saying, I, I, listen, I'm going through pain. I don't want this anymore. I screwed up. Just tell me what I got to do. But then again, I'm realizing there's nothing I can do. David is realizing that there's nothing he can do to fix it. This thing has gone over his head. This thing is out of his capacity. And now he needs the Lord who is his help. He says, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And we talked about this before, that people who know about God tell you what God is and they tell you the attributes of God. But people who know God tell you who God is for them. Let me say that one more time. People who know about God will tell you about the attributes of God. But people who know God will tell you who God is for them. People who know about God will say that he's righteous, he's sovereign, he's holy. They'll tell you all these things about God. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He'll say, they'll say all of that. But people who know God will say he's my shepherd. 
He is my help. He is my salvation. He is my father. He is my strong tower. That's how you know the difference between somebody who knows about God and someone who knows God, because someone who knows God knows who God is for them. We got to own it. And David in the midst of this is saying, he's my salvation. God, you are my salvation. God, I've got no hope in anything else. I'm in pain and I'm suffering. And I feel like it's something I did, but God, you're the only one who can fix this. So God, just fix it. Notice, there's a sh it's shallow and then it's deep at the same time. Because while David may have a shallow theological framework, David has a deep soteriological framework. David might have a shallow um, 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 theology when it comes to understanding where his sin is in the midst of his pain. But David's soteriology is deep. He knows that his salvation can come from nowhere else but God. David is saying, this thing is over my head. I need you to fix this, God. I need you to help me, God. You are my only help. I got trust in nothing else. Notice what he does in Psalm 39. Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Father, let me know that my life is short. And let me live like my life is short. Then he goes and he says, and now, Lord, who do I wait for? My hope is in you. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, man, I can, I can do this all day. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when... It's beautiful when you can come before God, completely broken, at your end. You've tried everything. You tried to fix it. You tried all your resources, all your money, all your finances, all your intelligence, all your connections, all your relationships. You've tried everything. And now you've reached to a point where you've done it all and it hasn't worked. The beauty of that is when, you're when you finally hit that rock bottom and you come to God, and just like the psalmist says in Psalm 39, verse 7, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. When you finally get to the end and you realize, I got hope in nothing else but Jesus, that's when the stuff busts wide open. That's when, when you, when you realize your hope is actually nothing else you have, there's nothing else you can do. And when you realize that there's nothing else you can do, uh, when the Lord blesses you moving forward, you realize it's nothing but the grace of God. It's a beautiful thing. In verse 12, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent to my tears, for I'm a stranger with you. Wait, hold on. Go. What are you talking about, David? O sojourner, as all my fathers were, remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength. Before I go away and I am no more. Oh my goodness, David, you're, you're all over the place, David. How are you going to say on one side that my hope is in you? And then on the other side, Lord, 
Remove your gaze from me. Because David's not coming with what he knows. He's coming with what he feels. And he's allowing God to change what he feels because he cannot change. Interesting side note. I know I'm all over the place. That's why it's a rant. You guys know how this stuff works. I got to go in a minute. But interestingly, isn't it interesting how we can come to God with what we know and allow God to change it? It's interesting how we come to God with what we know, our understanding, our worldview, our perspective, and then we allow God to change what we know. But we don't often come in with what we feel. And so God changes what we know, but he doesn't change what we feel when what we feel is actually what drives what we do. We know one thing and then we do something else. And that's why intimacy is so important. Because when we come in with what we feel, even if it's conflicting and it's wrong, then by coming in with what you feel, you allow God to change what you feel. And when God changes what you feel, then you will change what you do. I hope somebody got that. I hope you took notes on that. I just recorded it. I'm going to put that. I'll put that on TikTok. I'll put that on IG. Somebody needs to hear that because what you know doesn't change you. It's what you feel that does. And so David is coming with what he feels. And as he's coming with where he is at emotionally, his emotional state, his psychological state, then now God takes it. He goes, okay, you're way off, David, on this. Okay, you're way off, but let me work it for you. See, we come to God with our knowledge and information. And when we're wrong about it, we allow God to correct that. But when we come with what we feel, no, 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 we, we hold back on that. And don't allow God to change that. And yet God wants to change our heart. Because in the midst of the trial, God wants to change you. He doesn't want you to come out of your trial the same person. Because if you come out the same person, then the trial is of no effect. You're just more comfortable being whatever it is that you are. But when you can come to God with all, I mean, as, as, as backwards, as upside down, as ugly, as messed up, whatever it is, you come to God with, listen, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is how I feel. There ain't no fakeness here because that's what intimacy is. Then God can shape you so that before you even get out of the trial, you've already found peace in the midst of the trial. And that's why I love the way these three books are, are, are ordered together in, in, in the book of Psalms, because now when we get to Psalms 40, David sounds different here, because again, this is all about shaping the children of Israel in the midst of their trial and, their, and, and, and how they ought to persevere and wait well as they move forward. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He also brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. He's singing praises to God before he gets his breakthrough. 
Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. He's talking about what's going to happen and he's giving God praise for what's going to happen. I know, we, we you know, if you're growing up in church, especially one of them churches, they'll tell you, praise God in the midst of it. Praise God before your breakthrough. And that's what you need to learn how to do. And that's what David teaches. He teaches us that we ought to give God praise and we ought to glorify him even in the midst of the trial. Because our praise moves God and our praise is an aspiration to where God's going to take us and where God's going to go. The problem is we don't teach how we do it. And we don't teach what convinces us and convicts us to do it. What convicts us to do it. Stay with me, fam. What convicts us to give God praise, even in the midst of the trial, is to come with our pain to God in the midst of the trial. Say that again. What convinces us to give God praise, even when things aren't going the way that we want them to go. What convinces us to give God praise in the midst of our trial is to come to God with our pain in the midst of our trial. In all honesty, in all sincerity, tell God exactly how you feel. Tell God you're not ready to praise him yet. Tell God, let God then shape your heart. Let God then inform you of his grace. And let God give you your breakthrough even before your breakthrough comes. When you come to God with your pain and your tears, then you reap them in joy. So next time you ask somebody, how is it that you're giving God praise when you haven't gotten your breakthrough yet? The way you give God praise, even if, if you haven't gotten your breakthrough yet, is because I came to God with my pain before I got my breakthrough. I didn't wait on God to make it happen, to smile again. I came to God with my tears. I didn't wait on God for my breakthrough. The reason why I can praise God, even in the midst of my pain, the reason why I can praise God, even in the midst of my breakthrough, the reason why I can praise God, even in the midst of it all, is because I came to God with my tears, with my pain. I came to God with that first. And it's when I came to God with that first that God began to shape my heart and mold me and I found my breakthrough before I got my breakthrough. And when I found my breakthrough before I got my breakthrough, then I was able to give God praise. The reason why I can praise is because I know what my pain looked like. Some of us haven't yet come to God what our pain looks like. So come to God with your pain first. Let him give you your breakthrough before your breakthrough. Father, I thank you today, Lord, as we've come together, Lord, I ask that you would um, teach us more and more Lord, who you are. Teach us your heart. Reveal to us your desire for us, through us, for your glory. Father, I thank you, Lord, that today you're teaching us, Lord, that we can find our breakthrough before our breakthrough. We can find joy even in the midst of it all, Lord, that we can find gladness in the midst of it all, that we can find healing and deliverance even in the midst of it all. 
Lord, that you're doing a work in our heart if we would only simply just bring our heart to you. So, Father, I pray right now for each and every person who's here, who's listening to the sound of my voice. God, I ask today, Lord, whatever it is they're going through today, Lord, that they would just come before you, Lord, vulnerable in intimacy with you and just open up entirely to you about what they're going through. And Lord, that you would begin to shape and to mold them and that they would find their breakthrough before their breakthrough. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, I love you all. Um, today is our last read and rant for the year. <laughs> um, now, I will bounce in and out on Patreon. So patrons, I do want to stay connected. We have a Bible study that we're going to do. Um, and so uh, next week, we'll have a Bible study. I th um, and then we'll probably do another special session um, on maybe marriage, especially in this season and this time. So my wife and I may do a session uh, together on Patreon as well. So uh, you get to see my wife. So that'd be kind of cool. Uh, Vanessa gets to jump in because that lady's a firecracker. She a preacher. I hope she's on here. I don't know if she's on here. Um, uh, but it's good to hear her as well uh, because she'd be preaching all the time in my house. Uh, that's all she does. Anyway, uh, but I, I do want to uh, just, guys, encourage you all. I want to encourage you all to catch up while we are away for a little bit. Also, um, text because i will send words of encouragement throughout the next two weeks even though i'll be we'll be out because my wife and i will be out on our anniversary vacation so we'll be out but we will be back and then once we get back we are going to close out uh we're going to close out our session but i do want to encourage you guys text me 954-231-1848 954-231-1848 um i'll send you updates and a word of encouragement um, I'll keep you guys posted on anything. If I decide to do a pop-up session uh, on either IG or TikTok or on Twitter, I may do a Twitter space sometime during that period. Um, I'll send a text to you guys, let all you guys know, hey, yo, I'm going to be on Twitter spaces at this time. Come through um, and we can ch chop it up. And then on Patreon, I will, we, I know we have our Bibles had our Bible study last week. We will have a Bible study uh, this upcoming week as not, not this week, but the week after we're going to finish our Bible study on revelation. And so I encourage you guys to come and join me for that as well. Um, 954-231-1848. 954-231-1848. 